Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's what I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect, just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Almost 150 episodes. We are not stopping anytime soon. There is so much going on. I am so happy to have been able to speak with so many great people. And for those of you who are at Fan Expo STL, thank you so much for being there. It was a pleasure meeting all of you. This month in May, as I've said before, is focused on writers and It is a thrill to have right in the center of of this month a debut novelist, and I'm really excited about that because you never forget your first. You never forget that first time that you're able to get your own words out there and release it to the world and see what happens. The world is literally wide open to you. And this so this week, our guest is Mr. TJ McGowan. TJ's book is called Timeless Gardens and Other Beautiful Miseries. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you TJ McGowan. TJ, how are you, sir? How's it going, bud? Thanks for having me, George. I, I'm good. Um, little, a little jet lag. I just got only landed back in New York a couple hours ago from a trip out in Atlanta. But Excellent. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Is it uh, book related or is it? It was, or- it was kind of book celebratory related. I booked myself to go check out some music. Nine Inch Nails were nice. playing a festival on Saturday. And so I went for one day and then I have a cousin out there. So he kind of showed me around a little bit. And then, yeah, I just wanted to see some live music because then I knew coming off that trip, there'd be a, the book release and book stuff. And so it was just a little treat for myself Excellent. to get away. Excellent, excellent. That's that's terrific. I, I I know that when when whenever a lot of people kind of finish a first draft or finish a book in total and everything, they definitely have to kind of get out and decompress yeah. and just kind of celebrate because by doing this, this is one thing that that too many too many writers don't realize. By doing this, by getting to this point, you have accomplished something that millions of other people have constantly said that they're going to do but never do. And there you are. You, you're You've got it finished. The book is bound. It's ready to go. And it's got your name on it. And yeah. it's always going to have your name on it. So that's that's pretty, that's always just an amazing feeling. It's so a, it's, it's the coolest yeah. feeling. <laughs> oh, it really is. It really is. It, it's it's cool and it's intimidating and everything. But man, once, once it's out there, there really is something yeah. where it's just like, here you go. Here you go, world. And let's see, let's see what happens. For sure. Yeah. So, so let's go back to the beginning, what I always call the lightning bolt moment. And that's what basically what happens is, you know, any time like someone experiences something, read something, meet someone, hear something, whatever the case, and it just forces them to point in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. That is the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of person I want to be. What was it w- about that with you? And So I, I always kept a journal as a kid, but it was never really a dear diary kind of a thing. It was a little more abstract, and, and I just kept at it a lot. I was very introverted and just kind of poured all my feelings into that. And then that sort of was evolved into the maybe I was writing poetry as opposed that as opposed to just my inner thoughts of the day. So mm-hmm. I, and I, so I really got into poetry as I grew up, and then. It just started to branch out from there. And then I started taking some creative writing courses and poetry courses, uh, screenwriting. And my obsession sort of just grew with kind of any form or pathway that I could just try to express myself. And and yeah, and it, it just kind of snowballed from there. And I sort of majored in film and writing and more screenplay aspect in my 20s or so. And then got out. And in my job, I do write commercial copy and stuff like that, my nine to five, which oh, nice. which is cool to be able to do. But it still confines you in a little bit of a box because it's mm-hmm. for other people. It's for a client. It's But yeah, and then the poetry journey actually kind of took me further than I expected it to the last couple of years where it really got me out there and exposed and on different features. And then I had always had 
screenplays and novel manuscripts and things just kind of collecting dust over the years, either being too intimidated to try to get them out in the world or, or, or having imposter syndrome and thinking I wasn't good enough. Oh um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd have to go all the way back to like sad, depressed teenage TJ who decided to take his anger or his rage or his sadness out on some journal pages, to be totally honest. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's kind of that's kind of how it is with a lot of with a lot of writers and everything. It's not it's it's you got to just look at it as hey material, yeah. and you just got to get that out. So while you were getting it out, was there a point where you kind of realized that hey, I kind of have a knack for this? Yeah, I had when I was later teens, early twenties. I honestly don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had trusted showing some of my journal writings to a close friend, mm-hmm. and they were kind of, yeah, this isn't, like, they were kind of the ones that were, I don't think you're just writing your thoughts here. You're you're writing something more abstract, something more even creative with my own emotions. And they were the first ones to be, I think this might be poetry, man. I think you might not be realizing that you're writing poetry here. And and that was where it was kind of, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe I do have some kind of talent here with writing or, or at least expressing my emotions in the, in the form of writing. And then, and then I do consciously remember going back and looking at years old journals and kind of seeing how I was originally writing in them. And then sort of how I was writing in them when I showed that friend and there was this big, this big difference of how I was approaching writing. Yeah. That's cool. That is very cool. And so as you were as you were going along and everything, were there were you starting to focus more on poetry? Were there were you starting to feel start the pull to tell some stories? What was the what was your whole journey and everything through writing? So I I definitely started really to I started to love poetry a lot. I did get into it a lot and but I in those like years I was more just kind of soak it up, take mm-hmm. classes where I could and workshops. I wasn't really fully understanding of the publishing world or the, liter- twi- the, the sort of literary journal world. But I was always also writing imaginative made-up stories because I was just sort of always upset. I mean, I remember as a kid, I didn't play cops and robbers. I would, I would play movies. I would make up movie plots for me and people to act out with our imaginations. Mm-hmm. And that's always stuck with me too. And I think I got older, I was oh, I actually started just like jotting some of those things down. So I was always yeah. um, loved the idea of escaping just myself and my journal and poetry yeah. and, and being able to actually then start to take, well, all the things I'm learning about myself through my journal and my emotional mm-hmm. journey, I can channel into fictional characters and, and fictional worlds. So I was always also writing kind of short stories and things like that. And then in college, I took a lot of creative writing and a lot of screenwriting mm-hmm. classes and did lots and lots of writing in my college days in those courses and stuff to kind of hone nice. just like the ideas of characters and how they can drive your plots and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I've, it's so weird. I've, I've always been less afraid to share the deep emotional personal poetry and mm-hmm. more afraid to share the kind of fictionalized storytelling. It's very interesting. I, I almost feel yeah. people will forgive you more. People will forgive you more if they know it's coming from a deeply personal place on the stage when it's poetry. Right. Um, then when you're making up a world, it, it opens the door to, I guess, the, 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 the criticism a little more. So I was like mm-hmm. always like, very nervous about it. This book is helping me get over that for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. The, when you, when you were saying how you would, you would do kind of little summaries of something and then you would kind of figure out where the story goes. It's very Commedia dell'arte kind of thing, kind of points along the way to kind of figure out how yeah. those holes are going to get filled in. So did you take any sort of improv classes or anything to, to kind of help, help along with that? I, I didn't take things intentionally, but mm-hmm. when I was in film school, they make you if your major is screenwriting, directing, or production, mm-hmm. they make you take acting classes as so that you can understand what it feels for the person on the other side that you might one day be directing. Yep. And a big chunk of that, the most uncomfortable chunk was we would have to do improvisational setups with one another. 
Oh, nice. But they, they worked because we did them early. And I remember mm-hmm. the teacher then told us later on, she was getting the most uncomfortable exercises out of the way early on in an acting class actually kind of helps you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everything gets easier from there. Yeah. So she, yeah. Would throw us in, she would throw us in improvisational, uncomfortable improvisational things in pairs or trios or quads mm-hmm. early on in it to loosen us up. Mm-hmm. And just and at first you're, you're lost and you're kind of you're trying to adapt, but then it does become fun and, and, and very useful over time. Whether you're sticking with acting or not, you realize the usefulness of those kind of practices where you can apply them other mm-hmm. places and writing and just even in life being being more more adaptable and quick on your feet when it comes with storytelling nice you actually just uh, just hit upon something because when i when i had my first semester in college the first class that i wound up taking was theater games and improvisations and that really is you said that's a that's a difficult thing to really kind of jump into so there was definitely something there was something behind the reasoning for putting us freshmen in that kind of class. Just like you said, you just kind of get that, get that over with, get through it and everything. And all of a sudden you can take those skills and apply them later on. Yeah. So, so as, so as you've been doing this, going through school and everything, how has that changed your writing as you were going? I remember being very rich and even I remember certain teachers tell me uh, I was a very beginning middle and end person as in the sense that I would conclude before the trajectory took place, I guess would be the easiest way to say it. Yeah. I got very locked into like, I have this idea and I think it would be really cool if it ended, ended this way. And therefore I'm going to force every single thing to make it get there. And so a lot of the mechanical, just taking a breath and stepping back and having the college years sort of helped me with that because I had in particular in the screenwriting area, a few of my professors were living, paid, working screenwriters. So obviously mm-hmm. what they kind of know what they're talking about. So those were pretty good, formidable years in the sense of just understanding that you can have a great idea and you can kind of hope it goes in this trajectory, but mm-hmm. that but that really focusing on if you want your characters to feel real, are they are they... Would they make the decisions that still get you to that end or should you not worry about the end and just worry about the decisions your characters would make mm-hmm. if they were real? Was yeah. a key component that I took away from college. In, in, even in performance poetry, I, I, it's, that stuff sticks with me too. Am I, am, I, am I organically getting to where I want to get personally right. with my feelings in this poem at the end? Or am mm-hmm. I trying to force something for a certain reaction from people that are that are that are listening to it? Right now, you mentioned performance poetry. Now, are you an experienced, uh, pretty experienced poet, standing up and actually performing your own work? Yeah, I do. I do spoken word. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I'm experienced. It all came very quickly for me. Yeah, where I always loved it, and then I four years ago, five years ago, I took a leap to get on stage for the first time. Oh, and then wow. it, 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 it took off very quickly for me because I just loved it. And I, I became so obsessed with the feeling of it and, and, and that it, I, I did. The, I went to one open mic. And when I was done, the host of that open mic asked if I wanted to feature the next month. That's how quickly things started happening. Wow. And that so I, is that is awesome. That is so cool. Because, I mean, that's something that. I you know, I will always have absolute nothing but respect for spoken word artists, stand up comedians, anyone who just gets up on a gets up on a stage, and it's just them, the microphone, and their thoughts, and just getting it out there to a room of people, and you don't know how it's going to connect. You have no idea if what you have there works because so much of this is all subjective. It all depends on on how it's how you're able to connect with those people. And when you get up there, what was that feeling just that first time getting up on stage? Were you able to just kind of feel you owned it? Did you feel it was a little intimidating? What was your feeling? It was extremely intimidating, but I was I was also just I happened to be in an unfortunate mindset that ended up being 
the only mindset that would have allowed me to do it. I wasn't in a good place from here to here at the time. And I had thought, yeah, I just got to, I got to, I got, and so now I'm even, as we're talking, I'm thinking I almost created a character for myself in a sense where I had found out about a place I could go that was near me. And I was, Mm -hmm. I can be anybody when I go in this room, no one knows me. Mm-hmm. And by me accepting that no one knows me, I should feel it helped me feel less intimidated. Mm-hmm. And it actually allowed me to just kind of fi- breathe fire yeah. uh, with what I was going through, obviously through the form of my poetry. But it just made me command the the all that I was feeling in here through the words. Yeah, it was just the five minutes just felt boom and they were done and I had like gone somewhere else and kind of woke back up in front of the microphone. Nice. Was, I, I so didn't know what I was doing that when I showed up, I showed up early and I had a little packet of papers and my, my backpack. And then like they were go over, go over there to sign up. Didn't even realize that they do it in order. And I was the first one there. So I had to break the ice. Which then, Oh man. I didn't know that. But then that was part of what was like, <laughs> ended up mm-hmm. liking about me was that she was, people never want to do that. And you just kind of came in here and did it. And then you got up there and you yelled and all this per perception of me blew my mind. Cause I yeah. was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just feeling sad and angry. And, <laughs> and, then, like, and, then, and then her perception was, you just came in, you, oh, you did the ice break and you, and you kind of just set the bar. And yeah, and then they invited me back to the feature the next month. And I, and then I was just, I just became so addicted to how it made me feel. With yeah. Yeah, I felt yeah. very, uh, felt very free, mm-hmm. and, and it has also helped my writing in a fictional sense too. It actually helps me where when I'm writing characters, yeah, I can sit here and almost be theatrically out loud when I'm writing dialogue. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I, like I always say, if people were were to fly on the wall when I'm writing something fictional, yeah, they'd be like, What's this guy doing because I'm usually pacing around. <laughs> Trying to do the you work. have to, yeah, to you, you have to do out. that. Mm-hmm. There are some times where, w- when it comes to the dialogue, especially the dialogue, you have to at least hear it out loud. Yeah, just because you're going to find the rhythm, you're going to find the tone, you're going to find the character. Yeah, in there, and you're going to be shocked at what you discover by doing something like that. So that's that's a great thing that, as an audiobook narrator, I wish a lot of other people would do. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you, you do realize this is a lot, right? So when, so you're up there, you're on that stage and everything, you're getting, you just, boom, it happens. You're off stage and all of a sudden you're get, you're thinking originally what, that it was intimidating, but then all of a sudden you step down there and you're told that you commanded the stage. So when something like that happens, it's very, it sounds very perception is reality. Just it's one of those things that you kind of go through as, as someone with imposter syndrome as well. When, when yeah. someone else starts telling you what they, what their perception was at some point, you got to start listening to them. Yeah, so, no, totally. It, yeah. It, it, there's nothing. Listen, I love, I love my family and I love my close friends Mm-hmm. And, and they they come to shows and they buy books and uh, and they'll always support me and it's a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing and and then but when to your point when a when a complete stranger mm-hmm. tells you that you're good at something or gives you an opportunity after only hearing you once or you just meet some other random people that are in the crowd and something you said relates to their their act their same kind of life path or shoes they're in yeah is when yeah it starts to click that you might be talented or good at something and Mm -hmm. then it's cool it's cool to like feel that and embrace that not that it has to give you a big head you can totally take all of that with grace and and humility Mm -hmm. but it's we it's still cool to allow yourself a moment to feel that when a when a stranger an unknown compliments you it's they're, they're they're coming from a genuine place with that otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't tell you exactly it's, it's very fulfilling and rewarding oh, that's great yeah it's that's that's that it really is just an amazing feeling that makes all that sort of stuff really kind of worth it knowing that you connected yeah. with someone without any prior connection 
It was just right then and there. That's exactly the kind of person that's going to be picking up your book and they're going to start reading it. And none of us can afford enough plane tickets to go around the country to go over the shoulder of all the author of all the readers and say, well, this is what I meant to say. So, so, so this is, so that's great. So, so the next week you were, you were featuring, is that what happened? The uh, next, the following month. So they would do, they would the show be monthly. Nice. And the next, the next show, the, well, the next, yeah, the next show, yeah, that was, um, I got 15 minutes. And, and then of course I'm spending a month rattling around, oh man, uh, what, what do I have? What do I do? You mm-hmm. know, this, and then, and then it kind of just, it's so weird. And then. Another host for a show was in that crowd the following month, and then they invited me down to the show that they usually host, which was more intense. More everyone that was getting up is is doing it from memory, and they they have theatrics yeah. into it and all this. So then I'm I only compete with myself. I I love when other creative people are amazing and they're being successful. Yeah, and then if they're doing something I'm not doing, then I use that to cr- co- compete with myself. Mm-hmm. So then I'm, I'm, well, I'm not taking your stage until I can do that. So then I kind of went off and tried to turn myself into a full-on spoken word artist. And then, oh wow! You know, so I, I kept like, I was, I was in love with it and the community and everything that was happening so much that it was just actually just like, helping me level up, yeah, creatively and. But also as a person too, I, and I, and I know we're talking about heavily with poetry, but I think all of that, mm-hmm. the past couple of years, it yeah. has one thousand percent, maybe more confident mm-hmm. in the fear I was talking about earlier, yeah, about about putting more of my creative and fictional writing out there. Mm-hmm. I definitely was able to kind of leverage that feeling and what I was learning and growing about myself and as a poet or a spoken word artist mm-hmm. uh, was starting to help me in the other aspect of writing that I love. Yeah. Now with that, so you were given 15 minutes to be up on, on stage and it was all poetry that you were doing. Yeah. 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 It wow. was uh, that show specifically was pretty much, they, they had musicians that, that would come to, but it was mainly that one actually was, it would be, one poet and one musician would feature in the center of the show. Yeah. But yeah, it was all poetry. I'm trying to even, I remember, I don't, I can't, I don't even know if I can remember exactly what I, what I did. I, I, I think I remember the host asked me if I could do one of the ones I had read the month prior when she saw me. Right. But, but I only had one that was what you consider in the spoken word world. Most were just sort of written and read, but I did a few from a book poetry book I had put out in 2015. It was kind of a hodgepodge to come up with 15 minutes worth of stuff. And I, right. yeah, I had that all, it was so, but it, but it, it worked. I said it worked. There was another host there that then invited me out somewhere else. And that's kind of how, it, how all the, at least in that particular world here in New York city, yeah. you know, you, know you, you, you perform in a room and then there's someone that hosts the show in another mm-hmm. room and then you go to that room and and that's kind of that's the dream, really. I mean, that's all that's what we always want to have is to see if someone you go ahead and you make something happen. And then it just so happens that someone who has is in a position of authority in some way can look at you and say, yes, we're going to give you a shot. That's that's what this is all about. Yeah, that's what that's what all of this is all about. Theater and film everything with with writing someone could be there to who just wanted to show up and see what the new artists are that are out there sure and then see that you're reading a sample from one of your chapters and all of a sudden they want to read more and then who knows what happens from there for sure <clears throat> now while you're doing all of this what was the impetus for this particular book timeless gardens so in 2018, I believe. Mm-hmm. Honestly, right around the same time, I was, I was definitely in the world of spoken word at this point. But right. around that same time, I had, I had finished writing a draft of a novel that I hate. It's just not very good, and 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 I try I've, revis- I've tried to revisit it so many times, and I just can't figure out what it's supposed to be or what I want it to be. Or. And so. 
I was kind of bummed about that because you put lots of time and energy and hours into something and then you get to the end and you're like, well, I don't like this anymore. It doesn't excite me. And in a conversation with another poet, actually. Oh, yeah. We were just, just, it was just a casual talking Mm. just different things. And we were hitting on kind of the mental state we both were in, Mm -hmm. which then ties back to the reason I was even doing the poetry stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were, we basically were like, yeah, no, sometimes I wish you could take a pause from the world, this and the third. And we're like, what, you know, I wish we could just, how cool would it be if we could just tear a hole in the fabric of time, Mm. go into that pocket and time doesn't change in there. And we can calm ourselves, collect ourselves, and then kind of step back out. That was it. That was just a little, little thing that I couldn't get out of my brain for like months. I just, Mm. and it kept just growing. And I'm like, well, what if you could do this? What if this happened inside that hole? What if, what if, and it just kept growing. And I wrote a short story Mm -hmm. and showed that friend. And she was like, it's great. You should try to submit it places. And I did, didn't get anywhere. And mm-hmm. I kind of put it, put it down. And then I extended it a year later into a novella form. Had a few friends read it. They were all, yeah, you should just kind of maybe push it a little further. Mm-hmm. And then it was out of my mind for a little bit. And then 2020, mm-hmm. COVID happened and everything kind of shut down. Yep. And another friend of mine, who's a great writer, we were chatting. And she, I, she was kind of looking for stuff, something to read. I was kind of picking this back up again. And so her and I, I think for sanity's sake, we just worked on that manuscript. Nice. Like 2020, that whole year, just mm-hmm. I would I would do things. She was basically being my editor and kind of another perspective. Yeah. And we found that every time we'd go through it again, we loved it more and we wanted to make it better. Oh. And it felt okay. so different than the yeah. other one. Or the other one, I was like, well, I want to light this on fire and never see it again. Uh, <laughs> you know. And well, then, don't light it on fire. That's one thing I always say when it comes yeah. to when it comes to manuscripts that don't work or projects or anything that don't work. Never hit delete. Just go ahead and you know, like put them aside. You never know what's gonna what's gonna come out of it. I had this this little film miniseries that I had written that my friends and I were going to film and I made it purposely no budget so that way yeah. we can kind of shoot around that and have different things to justify how terrible it was going to look <laughs> and and then fi- and then finally it just felt yeah, this this really isn't going to go anywhere so i put it aside but when i was starting up another project that would become my a story from parts unknown i took all of those character names and i just basically grabbed them all and i just said okay you guys are getting recast and all of a sudden i had one character who was this and now he's this and another one who is this and now he's this and and it was fun just kind of like taking all yeah. those characters from that project that just didn't work and put it, put them all in a whole new light. And then funny enough that you said that, that there was a point where you said that you weren't feeling that project anymore. I actually had that when I got my book from Parts Unknown back from my publisher because I had self-published it in 2002, but then I got it back in 2011. I felt that I was going to go ahead and turn it into an ebook and put it out there myself. But when I read through it, I didn't like it anymore because it was me from 2002 yeah. reading it, you know, like reading it here in 2011. And so I decided I was going to completely strip it down and redo it. And now it's a five part serial. Yeah. And it's something that it started out as a 230 something page uh, novel. And then it became the set. I think it came over 700 pages for all five parts in one, in one nice. big volume. And so, yeah, it's amazing what happens when those projects sure. don't really work and everything, but now it's just, now it's, better than I've ever thought it could be. <laughs> so yeah. So, so as you're going through this, that's a mate, that's terrific that you were able to use this time. So positively, did she have a project as well that you were helping her on as well? No, she was just in, a, she hadn't written in a long time, but she knew how to edit and stuff like that. And she was kind of looking for just something to read that wasn't oh, nice. hers. And, you know, we're just close enough that we have the relationship where, she was, like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to read something you have. And I, I, funny enough, not that I would speak for her, but I think the process actually helped turn some wheels to get her back in mode of at least I, like, gr- she's a great fictional writer, but 
she's also, she also is a poet as well. Most most a lot, oh, of, nice. a, lot of writers, a lot of writers I know end up kind of being like almost a hybrid because uh, I usually meet them in the poetry world and then they're kind of also working in. And so I know lately she sent me some poems that so she's which is awesome because she's a very talented writer. So it's great to know that she's back putting putting words putting words down on paper. It really was like it it, it really was to keep us sane. We we were locked up. In our, this was the heat of everything being locked down. New York City, I, I could hear the sirens every night. It was, oh, yeah. it was like, so it, it really kept us. And then there's parts of me that I don't even know if subconsciously when I reread it now, because mm-hmm. it was about a timeless void. And, I, and, and that idea came up obviously before the pandemic, but that these there's moments of isolation in, in, in one character in particular. Yeah where you in some kind of unfor- unfortunately fortunate way mm-hmm. being isolated stuck in the same place every day it was maybe i'd go out to get groceries if not or order them to myself so yeah it was there was this weird parallel to where i felt i was stuck in a timeless void and every time mm-hmm. i would step out into the world outside my front door it was different yeah. so there was this kind of odd odd parallel that was really random happenstance. It was, so the idea, the idea, was something before the pandemic. And but part of me and her, we we think that's why it latched on to us during it because we were probably finding such such relatable moments in the character and our current real life. Yeah, and so that's why it always kind of felt. I guess it felt fresher. It felt like. I guarantee that's why we felt so connected to it at the time, whether we would at the time were conscious of, of that. Think about that more and more each day now, now that it's out, it's going to be out. So, so as you're putting it together, I'm curious, you know, actually before we, before we jump into what you were able to do with, with the manuscript, once it was finished, tell yep. us a little bit about the story itself. Sure. This is my least polished part of. We all have it. Yeah, I, I know. I know how it is. <laughs> I've, uh, I've done it several like, times. I, I love being kind of more vague, but I also understand mm-hmm. that doesn't always help people either. Right. But essentially, it is about a boy who gets trapped in a timeless void. Mm-hmm. Circumstances slightly unknown become more known as you read, mm-hmm. and he time does not pass within it, but time passes outside of it. Mm. And it satiate. It needs to be satiated every couple of decades. Yeah, through grief. So he essentially has to. He gets popped back out into the world, but he's tethered to it. Yeah, and if he doesn't get give it what it wants before a certain point in time, he catches up to the age he should be. Oh wow! And we're at a point where he's probably would be too old to be caught outside. So he's in an unfortunate circumstance where he does have to keep it alive to keep himself alive. And the tie in with grief is just, I'll leave that more up to people that read it, but right. But yeah, he basically has to kind of feed it people in a state of kind of grieving or loneliness. Mm. Uh, And there's an aspect to it where if, if you go, if you step in with him, uh, you are visited typically by whatever's most connected to your heaviest grief or burden. Mm. And that can be both healing or not so good. And, and then, yeah, I mean, that's the core of it. I mean, you really sort of, you, you, there's a modern day through line. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of some past through lines where you kind of see how his mindset has changed with how he treats people and when he brings them there and, because he's sort of he, he's learning as he's going, yeah. The actual rules of this place he's trapped in. That's kind of that's at least the gist of one of the the, the main character. Um, yeah. Again, it's it, it's more character heavy than it is necessarily plot trajectory driven. Yeah. Uh, so there's it's a lot more characters. There's pl- many more characters within it, but that's that's the kind of most unique aspect of it. Yeah. If I had to jumble that into <laughs> some kind of description. Yeah, that's wild. That's how, that sounds really cool. And having read having read some of the sample that was sent over to me, I was definitely very intrigued with how it goes and I love the way that you're you're literally painting this picture 
that's in front of me as it goes. I'm seeing as I'm taking steps, it's sort of there's someone that's just ahead of me with a paintbrush, just making sure that every, all the details and everything are all filled in as I go. It's really wild the 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 style that you have here. I'm really, I, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna go over really well. I appreciate it. No, it was a, that was it was a it was a that was one of the bigger debates was particularly how we structure the different decades that he pops back out. And yeah. the order in which we should. Well, I was actually very scared at first to have it the way it is. Mm. But I, it was, I had enough trusted people on my side yeah, that wanted me to take, I guess, more of a creative risk with how I, how I originally had it structured. Mm-hmm. Which wasn't necessarily chronological, but it was right. a little bit more rigid. But now I think it plays into the idea of, uh, as a poet... As a writer and as a human, I'm obsessed with time and mortality. I'm just over the moon obsessed with them. Not in bad ways. They don't bring me down, just in fascinated ways. So now the structure of the book, when people read it and they'll see sort of how it plays out time-wise, allowing myself to be open to rearrange it that way actually just makes me happier that I decided to do it because it plays into my fascination with time and mortality as a person and, and how memory can almost be a time machine. And mm-hmm. so there's aspects of different characters where you're kind of dropped back into a memory of them from many, many years prior. And it feels a little fragmented, but as the book goes on, we're just trying to play on that idea of, have you ever had, I don't know, you're going about your day and then, I don't know, a song comes on or a, a certain taste of the meal or, and all of a sudden you're you Right, yeah. like I'm 37 year old TJ, but in here I'm 12 year old TJ. Yeah, they did. They did that at the end of uh, Ratatouille. They had the same yeah. thing where where the where the critic is is yeah. eating the ratatouille, and all of a sudden it takes him right back to where he was as a kid when he had it, and it completely changes his whole mindset. So yeah, that's that's great. But getting that sort of connection with yourself and getting it through your writing and getting it through what you experience like that's that's a that's a key that's a key tool for any sort of writer to have no it's it's, it's i think that's why it's made me less nervous mm-hmm. i guess if people don't that's that's fine everybody likes everything right but i think because it feels very not me in the sense that I'm, i am these characters although you right. know we, we obviously inject but just that it feels voice and style and sort of how we put it together Mm-hmm. feels very right for me Yeah, is why I'm kind of most overjoyed is it, it feels identifiable to me for me. And even when I got the hot, I got my physical copies in and I've read it. I've memorized at this point, but each time I'm, I'm enjoying it and I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm, and I'm proud of it. And it makes That's great. Me, it makes me feel good. And, and mm-hmm. it's not boring to me. It's not boring yeah. to me after all these times I've read it. And, yeah. And so, that's, that's always that's always a great feeling to have. And just for someone who's also battled imposter syndrome, when you get through that and everything, and you, and you can actually say to yourself, hey, this is good. That's a huge, huge yeah. step forward because now all of a sudden you're getting, you're leaving behind, you're shedding that, all that negativity that you had been holding on to. And everyone else that's going to be experiencing your stories, they don't have that shroud of negativity. So they get to experience it. And all of a sudden they're going to start seeing it the same way that you're seeing it now. And that's just going to make you feel better and more confident and then want to do it again. Exactly. And, and that cycle is, it's a pain in the ass too, because sure. that shroud of negativity will come right back on you. No, <laughs> and, it's, 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 it's insane how that happens. Yeah. And you, and you realize that it's essentially, it's just you in your own way for the most part. Um, because I think creative, creative, I don't think I've met a single artist, creative writer that has not in some way ex- felt that or they can't accept that either they've done something, accomplished something or, yeah. or, or our own worst critics. Or, We're always yeah. our own worst critics. So, so you found, you found a definite fan in Tony with two eyes yeah, publishing. Yeah. Now, how did, how did you guys come together? So on the I, so I knew Tony because Tony used to host an open mic oh, for nice. poetry, yeah, uh, in Harlem, mm-hmm. and we 
we would always kind of randomly run into each other, hello, goodbye, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then he was hosting his own open mic, uh, and over the years had had me as a feature several times. Mm-hmm. This was all prior to Two Eyes being in existence. Then, right. then he, I remember he he started with his, he, his own book first, and then he started building a roster of different poets and poetry. And then he went from having kind of that to then opening it up to to be more of a, a, a straightforward publisher and having people submit manuscripts for review. And I remember him telling me that if I ever had poetry to submit, I should submit a manuscript. Mm. And, and I, I just didn't. I don't I don't work well under... It's so weird where you feel there might be an open door. Mm-hmm. And, then I'm not, I, and then you try to force yourself through it. Yeah. So... And, and not even just saying just two eyes, but there's been other aspects where people have approached me for poetry and stuff. And, and I would try to write manuscripts for the opportunities and they'd be very bad because it was mm. just me forcing poetry I didn't want to write because mm. I wasn't in the mindset to write it. Right. But that's the kind that they were looking for. So, so it's like, yeah. but so I'm like no, I'm, I can't put out a book that sucks. So I was, unfortunately, I do not have poetry to submit. And I was, but I do have, because then it was weird because then it was, I came right off. He, he he had me do an event with my self-published poetry book. Right. Because he does events for both published and self-published authors. Nice. And then, I don't know, that was a really great experience. And then I was thinking just about how he said that like, he was open for submissions. And it was right coming down from where me and Jen, my friend that was helping me, mm-hmm. we had done like... I, don't know, I think I had like draft 14 at that point and, and you're sitting there and I was, so I was just, like, Hey, do you guys take anything other than poetry? Could I submit? And he was pretty straightforward that they had not tackled anything other than poetry and that they couldn't guarantee they would even tackle anything other than poetry because it mm-hmm. was different type of editors, different, just a whole different oh, yeah. machination of stuff that has to happen. Mm-hmm resources and different things but he's i'm not gonna say no so submit it along with everybody else and then his editor he had i think two editors read it and then he read it himself and both of them they they loved it nice so then it started with just a meeting at first of what's is this feasible for all parties involved and that went really well and so then he Decided that he would make Timeless Gardens his first, not only my debut novel, yeah. but like their first fictional project. Wow. Um, so no pressure. Right? So, yeah, so he's done He's done 16 poetry books. Mm-hmm. So I knew there was, I, I had a confidence in his ability to put a book together. That was without a doubt. Yeah. And then he kind of shared this confidence in the story that he believed in it. And that even though I knew him, I, I really did feel that he connected with the emotionality of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. and his editor at the time did too and and so it was kind of just this thing where we're all going to dive in this together nice. as a first experience and we're going to mm-hmm. figure it out and we're going to we're going to do the best we can and make this the best we can make it and then excellent and then that was a year-long process then there after that yeah wow that's great that's great and so all of that that entire journey and everything and now you have the book in, in front of you. What was that feeling? Opening up the box. <laughs> yep, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Opening up the box, reaching in, taking it out, holding it in your hand. Tell me about that moment. Because I'm sure there are quite a few writers that are out there that are working on their own works in progress, yeah. that are chipping away at it, trying to find it and everything. And they are living for that moment where yeah. you can reach into a box or open up a bag or whatever and hold their work in their hands. What was that moment? So it was surreal, man. I don't even know if I'm fully have grasped it. Yeah. I, I, I was so excited to get it mm-hmm. that I didn't even want to wait for it to be put in the mail. Yeah. Uh, so I met Tony in the city right off of Broadway, actually. And he was just, I'm, I'm going to have it in on Thursday. I could bring it with me to work on Friday. And if you wanted, you could come down Friday after you get out of the office and we can meet somewhere. Uh, tell me when and where. Yep. <laughs> and I was like I will rearrange my schedule. No, no, nothing else matters right now. <laughs> like, kind of, <laughs> and I, yeah, I drove down to meet him, and I, I 
we were going to meet at sort of a cafe and I, I, I was there a little early mm-hmm. and then I didn't even, wasn't even paying attention to my surroundings. And he just mm-hmm. kind of was approaching from across the street and he actually recorded the moment he gave it to me. Oh, uh, that's so I, cool. So he, so he that is cool. It, so he could send it back to me afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I'm a deer in headlights. Uh, yeah. And I'm, it's funny because all throughout my like childhood and as an adult, I've always been hard to read when it comes to like, my excitement level. I'm always yeah. like, yeah, I'm excited, but it's inside. Mm-hmm. Where you can see the genuine, there was no way the smile was not going to. The eyes light up and everything. Because yeah. I literally was, I was looking at the pages, looking up at him, looking down. I was a deer in headlights. I was so kind of just overwhelmed Yeah. by just, every, just it was all the whole process everything yeah. that flashed before my eyes yeah and then the endless nights and then mm-hmm. the way it looked and felt and i had known i knew how many hours tony had put in designing yeah. and us hitting you know some road bumps along the way and things that and just one night i think the two of us were up till four o'clock in the morning with each other trying to just whittle down the ends of the design for certain things and all that stuff just hits you a ton of bricks yeah, when you're sitting there and you're holding this physical thing that mm-hmm. that not only that I get to have, but that people are going to read and write thoughts about, and it was as unlike anything I had felt when it came to the honestly, and it was one of the coolest moments of my life. I mean, That's it, awesome. really, it really just was for me. It was, uh, and I and I think because the process was so good along the way and I had someone that believed in me that much better. There was no contention. Sometimes yeah. I have friends and they talk about publisher and editor and they can get a little contentious. Mm-hmm. Um, there was none of that. And so then it felt, I really felt like I was, it just felt like a team effort that got it across the finish line. And yep. And it was, it was just a really amazing sort of blissful moment. Then Tony's, okay. then Tony's making me stand in the middle of Broadway when traffic <laughs> isn't coming so he can take pictures of <laughs> Tony's, Tony's But more, that's Tony's, so cool. That is so cool. Kudos to Tony. Kudos yeah, yeah. to Tony for doing that because that is so that is that gives that extra personal element to yeah. a publisher that is not only very cool and everything, but it's gonna make other writers want to say, I want to work with that guy. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that guy's got my back. And that's, that's why, that's why I sought to get my Excelsior books published by someone else after it's, after it had its run in self-publishing. I just felt, I just love knowing that there is, that there is someone or a team of people that are investing in me that have my back. And that is something that I am just really, really, that's, that's the main thing that really gets me going with, with Excelsior and Ever Upward and, and also, I have to note, my publisher has the patience of a saint, <laughs> Jeff from Aloris Publishing, on uh, waiting for part three of that trilogy. I swear I'm working on it. And yeah, and I got to get it done fast, too, because this year is my 30th anniversary of my character. So I got to make sure that that gets done. But the publishers that are this, the indie publishers, the small presses and everything, they really, they're really special. And they need to get yeah. more credit because they, they do stuff like this. They reach out to their authors. They're friends with them. They, they invest in yeah. them and they do whatever they can to really kind of show that, you know, Hey, we got you on yeah. this. He, he's boots on the ground, even though we're in such a digital space now, but he's mm-hmm. boots on the ground trying to get as many of us into as many different brick and mortar stores. And yep. I don't know when the guy sleeps. I don't know when he sleeps. I, I literally, cause it, I'm, this isn't just me. He's yeah. made 16 other books and he yeah. has a life too. And he has uh, and he's always, just thinking about the next step, the next step, like where he, where he can take us, how he can help us. And even just taking the picture on Times Square, he's my parent on a trip and they want to yeah. make sure that this memory is, <laughs> collect, is collected yeah. for me because they know I'm going to appreciate it because I'm seeing stars at that point. Like, right. And so he's always yeah looking out for us and I, and I appreciated that. And the amount that he can, he puts in for everybody is pretty overwhelming. Yeah. We did the pre-order. And he opened his doors to me to so come to his house and do all the signings for those and stuff. And oh, it was just nice. felt, everything just felt very personal, personable. And I, I just, I, without a doubt, know how much 
he's into the story as much as I am. And that was the coolest uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. So where can, where can my, uh, where can my readers, uh, my, let's try that again. So where can my listeners find you on social media? Yeah, I go by the everyday bite. T H E E V E R Y D A Y B I T E. Pretty much on all social media. I, Instagram, I probably end up using the most. Uh, it's just where I had originally started sharing writing and then it evolved into more of just me as a creative as a whole. Right. Uh, but, and that's typically my stage name in the spoken word world, the everyday bite. So, nice. Um, yep. That's where you can nice. find me. All, all the best to you, man. This is great. This is a terrific moment. Definitely savor it. Enjoy it. All the best on the launch. I'm really excited for you. I'm excited for this story. And I am excited for all of you who are listening, who are ready to get their stories out there, who have something that is ready to go. You have that story out there. You've put it down on paper. You have worked with it as long as you can. You have a direction for it. By all means, pursue that direction. Get your work out there. You never know who's going to need that work at that time. So for TJ McGowan, The Everyday Bite, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.